Hi everybody, welcome back to Talks with Miri. So this episode's being done on a Friday and I like Wednesday and Sunday but today I feel like I needed to make one because I'm finally done with examinations so my time is free again and it's not necessary to play catch up but I needed to play catch up like I didn't like the huge inconsistent gaps anymore and there's so much that I need to talk about and do and I had like an interesting topic for today and I can't wait to talk about it I was really excited so without further ado I'm gonna begin oh and I'm going to be using a different background noise it's called a background noise isn't it like an ambiance type of vibe I don't know but either way it's gonna be different for this episode just because it's coming out on a different day of the week so I wanted to do something different but after today I will be going back to Wednesday and Sunday so enjoy also before fully fully like indulging in the topic i forgot to mention that there is going to be an agony on session at the end of this episode where you know the drill like get the dilemma the question answer it so there's also that so <laughs> my bad for the people who sent in stuff and think that i wasn't gonna answer it don't worry i am so today I'm going to be talking about Black Wall Street. kind of sounds like a myth. And it's not um, like the, the, the Great Depression type of vibe. In, in the sense that, you know, Black Wall Street. But this is, wow, it's quite um, an essential part of Black history. And general knowledge history for people that I realize a lot of people don't know. And I discovered this sometime back. And it came back on my, my, you know how your, your feet gets customized for you. And it came back on my feet again. And I was like, I don't know why I never did a podcast on this. So now I'm going to do, it's kind of like a mini history lesson. But like I've said before, people need to know what's happening before I'm able to open up debate lines on it. So we're going to be talking about Black Wall Street. Now, we're going to be going back 98 years. For today's podcast, remember, literally one of the worst episodes of violence sparked by racism in America. So if you're unfamiliar with black history, the richest man to have ever lived in history was Mansa Musa. And I'm talking about streets lined with gold on his travels, rich. And this was, of course, way, way back before the entrapment and slavery of black people. So the last known abundance of black wealth was held in African kingdoms. So much so that literally at one point in time, Congo had a whole aristocracy. There was wealth for black people. And now continuing on with this lovely historical podcast, we're going to Oklahoma Greenwood. We're still going back 98 years now. This is where it took place. And there was an area that was so absolutely full of rich black residents that it became known as Black Wall Street. And it was just a hub of black success. There was black-owned homes, establishments, banks, restaurants, hotels. And there were black lawyers, doctors, and dentists. And for that time period, it was one of the few predominantly black areas that thrived economically after the end of the Civil War and well into the 20th century. And as you can imagine, 
racial discrimination was faced by residents in the area. They literally were thriving and for the, the type of racism that um, black people have suffered, particularly for that time, this was not something that many people wanted to see. So they faced a lot of racism from neighboring communities and this resulted in the Tulsa massacres. So you know how the story goes. It's a very stereotypical story, but it was 1921 and there was a black 19-year-old male, Dick Rowland, and he was apprehended by police on the 31st of May for allegedly assaulting a 17-year-old white elevator operator, Sarah Page, inside an office building on South Main Street. So accounts differ on what actually happened between the two. Some say that he had accidentally stepped on her foot and she scram. And essentially, this was just what the, the hardcore racists and extremists needed. And this was like their their lucky break in a sense. They finally had a legitimate reason to be angry. So all these white people got very, very angry. So they rioted, destroyed, and decimated Black Wall Street. And it never recovered from the incident. So after Roland was arrested, who is the black kid if you're not following so far? Um, sorry. He had spent... No, 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 not he. Let me, sorry. I'm getting the facts right in my head. After he was arrested, it was white mobs now that had 24 hours um, free to them. And in these 24 hours, they looted homes, stores. They burnt homes, schools, libraries, movie theaters, and other businesses. And eyewitnesses reported seeing planes hovering overhead as buildings burned from the top down on the streets below. A lot of black people were shot down by white people, many of whom were given weapons by police. And historians go so far as to say that roughly 300 people were murdered. But there will probably never ever be an accurate death toll. Because apparently, and this is very Nazi-ish, as, um, Nazi-ish. did I say Nazi-ish? I feel like I mumbled at the end, but anyway. There will probably never be an accurate death toll because as they were shooting you know these black people did they just put their bodies onto trucks went into unmarked graves and they continued on and as a result 35 blocks were left utterly destroyed 10,000 people were homeless and after this massacre many black Tulsans left the city because they obviously feared for their safety and many black and white residents who decided to remain in Tulsa stayed silent about the tragedy for decades and as time passed vivid details about the massacre faded no one was convicted for the incident including Roland to this day questions about the scope of the attack including how many people carried out the violence the degree and government involvement have never been answered and in the decades since the Tulsa race massacre, black residents continue to grapple with countless inequities. So today, many of the city's low-income black people reside on the north side. And they have taken up the second-rate housing. And they don't really own much except for a couple of grocery stores. And white communities stay you know, on the suburban side, on the southern side. And such disparities affect overall quality of life, job opportunities, and life expectancy. And I need, first of all, I need to shout out Shamira Lawrence for this because it was her article that funded a lot of this. 
of what I've just said to you. And I want to continue by saying that um, a lot of white people get uncomfortable when we talk about the history of people of color. But I do think it's very important to talk about it because, you know, there's a lot of white people, and I hate generalizations, but in this case I have to, who don't necessarily understand the disadvantage that a lot of people of color had um, historically and now may not be as prominent as before so they may not understand why for example we get um, preferential treatment for university entrance but when you look back at how disadvantaged we are even now we literally would not be able to keep up in reality Um, these small type of massacres attacks racial um, things had long lasting effects and they're very sad obviously a very sad part of history but this it's a part of history that shouldn't be forgotten if anything i am of the belief that not just black history but asian history south american history all of it should be as publicized as for example the, the nazi regime and what it did to the jewish people because it's been so publicized and acknowledged that um, the Jews were persecuted. This is what the Jews went through. The Jews have all the books and the movies. And we're able to understand just how much they suffered. Yet there is still a huge um, lack of knowledge and publication about black history, about Asian history, about South American history. And a lot of it has to be self-learned, which is not fair. Because the whole point of progression is to learn and understand that okay this is where we went wrong and because such information is not publicized it's going to be even harder to do that but that's what i think it's one of my views when it comes to people of color's histories that more should be known because even if someone has never taken history as a subject a day in their life they can tell you who the nazis are but someone who hasn't cannot tell you who King Leopold is, for example. No one can intricately tell you the details of the Vietnam War. And um, I find it unfair. I really do find it unfair. So I am going to start doing... Not all my podcasts are going to be based on, on historical context, but I want to start doing ones here and there on stuff such as this. And it's not only going to be primarily focused on black people. Because I feel like people of color will have the common struggle. So, um, having heard that, I'm very curious to hear what you guys' feedback is on the black Wall Street. And I like the idea of it. I like what it stands for. And hopefully from this podcast, I've encouraged you guys to look up Mansa Musa. Because that is one hell of a, a history to you. He was and is still actually quite iconic to me. It goes so far saying he's one of my role models. But I can't really make a podcast on that because it will be very short. He just had a beautiful history. One of the richest countries in Africa. And he was fairly generous. He was quite an ideal ruler, actually. So now, let me continue with this podcast before I run up the minutes rambling. And move on to the Agony Aunt session. Now we've moved on to the agony aunt 
session. So what I'll be doing is I read out what you guys have sent me word for word, and then I will answer it. So first off, we have a nigga I like compliments my body way more than face or me as a person. Should I be worried? Am I tripping? Because I honestly hate being loved for my body. I want my body to be a bonus point on top of loving me for me. I agree wholeheartedly with your sentiment that it should be your your I don't want to say your inside, but it should be your mental over your physical. And I value um, honesty when something disturbs you. So the way that I would approach this is pure honesty with him. Like, I understand that you may have a liking for me, but is it more physical than emotional? Because in that way, you have been able to address what it is that bothers you and you're able to get the answers that you need because a lot of our problems can really just be solved by being direct and that being said you'll not always get the ideal answer to the question that you have like it may not necessarily be a cinderella moment where he turns around and is like no i love you for you etc and if that is not the case then you have saved yourself time and a lot of emotional hurt but the overall sentiment I would say is that I wouldn't say there should be a larger attraction to your personality, but it is a way safer bet than someone who just considers you to be pretty. Then the other one that I would like to address today is what determines where you're from? specifically for black people and i actually can't wait to answer this one so it was sent in oh wait no i can't say anonymous but when it was sent in the premise of like what determines where you're from i was like pretty vague so obviously i asked for elaboration and i got examples i'm going to read out so like you're born in the uk but your parents are nigerian and suddenly you identify as british So when people ask where you're from, you say England instead of Nigeria. So the general consensus is what determines where you're from? Is it where you're born or where your parents are from or the language that you speak? Um, First of all, I'm going to say that this is only a problem faced by black people because white people claim everywhere they're from. Everywhere could even be that one relative that was there in 1783 they have claimed that country with black people i like this black to <laughs> i link this back to an element of whitewashing where it's deemed better to be from the the european country because there's more pristine and prestige and darling um attached to it if you get what i mean and i literally saw this everywhere because as i've mentioned before like as a kid i lived everywhere and i saw every which type of black person and there were always a specific group um in a school that i went to not a group or a specific individual who just had a huge problem with identifying with the blacker side of them and it becomes like a cultural identity crisis and they believe that siding with the more european side is the way to go or the better option but what determines where you're from is to me where you're born and where your parents are from and if that 
means you have to claim three countries, then I'll do it. Because what determines where I'm from is... Um, oh, actually, I even had this. Because I was born in South Africa, and my mom is South African. And my dad is Ugandan. But for the longest time, I only went by South Africa. Because I had not been to Uganda when I was younger. And I had assumed that, oh my gosh, no, it's too rural. People are going to attach that to me. And no. Huge element of whitewashing there. And after, you know... um. I went to Uganda and I grew up as a person and exposed myself to the realities of the world and absolutely fell in love with Uganda. And I get offended if um, someone just refers to me as South African. That being said, I'll just be offended if someone referred to me as just Ugandan. These are things that make me me. They're the elements and the formula that created me. So that to me is what determines where you're from. It's where you were born and what your parents represent or where your parents are from. And you can't really be ashamed of where you're from because I think that's when you're one step closer to really to really um, losing at this life than winning. Because it's where you're from that makes you who you are. It's where you're from that determines who you are becoming, essentially. And to be ashamed of it is really such a shame. Because whoever you're trying to emulate, whoever you're trying to be, you will never be. Because all you can do is be you. And I know, as cliche as that sounds, it's honestly what I believe. You can't be ashamed of where you're from, except where you're from. Because it is only you who's making you look like a fool. And then I'm going to do one more agony aunt for the preservation of time. I would not like to be a super long podcast. Especially because it's Friday. Um, why do we still fool ourselves into thinking that there is a right person? Um, well, personally, I would um, start by saying that I find a little bit of romanticism is healthy and it's human nature. Like, not to the extreme kind where you believe that your soulmate's gonna like fall out of the sky into your lap but I honestly think a little bit of romanticism in life is cute as for thinking that there is a right person I wouldn't say it's fooling yourself I'd say it's more consoling yourself because I feel like fooling yourself has a more pessimistic tone to viewing this and a lot of people A lot of people would actually like to claim to be very pessimistic at love, but I feel like a lot of people are low-key romantics. They're just scared of the vulnerability of being a romantic. Um, So I wouldn't say fool. I'd say console. Because a lot of the time, um, it's very easy to get swept up in someone and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I think this is the one. And the reality is you're most probably going to get your heart not well broken, crushed, or you might be the one doing it in this relationship because relationships very rarely work out in your favor that's the reality of it but once you accept the reality of this you're able to enjoy your present relationships more um i do think that there's not a right person but there are right people for someone that you can have more than one right person in the world but that's not before it sounds like i'm a champion for polygamy it's just my philosophy that they are like three, four, five people in the world who could have been your right person. 
if you know out of all the odds but i wouldn't say well i'd say that um i'm guessing that somebody may have hurt you or something of that nature occurred to you but i would not necessarily say give up on the idea of love but i'll not say don't subscribe to it too heavily that it becomes all that you're obsessed with but there will as cliche as this sounds eventually be some light bulb moment between you and somebody where they may still annoy the hell out of you but it's a suitable situation can i say that and maybe we do to an element fool ourselves into thinking there's a right person but the way I see it, it's better to have some hope than no hope at all. I am... I am an optimistic realist. I can't buy into pessimism at all. At, like, it's not for me. So I like to think that it's better to have some hope than no hope at all. And if you keep hoping that you'll meet this ideal person, maybe it will happen. I don't know, it's better than just cold heart being like, I'm going to die alone forever. It's not what I envision to be very healthy behavior. And I think I rambled. So thank you guys for listening. And I hope the message of this podcast about the learning of more people of color's history remains a prominent concept and encourages you to do further research of your own. And I like doing the agony on things. Usually, we'll be done at the panel, but um, the time period is not so conducive with the people in my life. So the next agony on definitely will have a panel. And thank you guys again for listening. I hope you guys have an amazing... Well, it's cold here, so I hope you guys have an amazing cold-ass month. Because that... Well, it is actually that kind of cold where you feel it in your bones. You know where it feels like like your, your bones are turning into ice? It's that kind of cold right now. So hopefully you guys get to like Netflix and chill with your special somebody. Or you guys can just chill by yourself and just... You know, enjoy winter in that blanket situation. Anyway, bye guys. Actually, before I end, there's something very, very important that I wanted to end off with. Because I realized that I want to start doing, like, quotes, if you will. I feel like it's the best way to end my podcast. So, I'm going to start with something very basic. I don't even know who said it. That's the worst part. But I just like the, the message so much. So essentially, it says that... Um, well, it starts off with a reminder of the day. And it says, Your name is in rooms your feet have not even entered yet. I find that so positive. I think it's a good notion to carry. So until I see you again, enjoy that notion. And remember it's you who controls this you run your ship don't let it sink
my gosh, it's actually not even over because my dumbass just remembered that. First of all, I have done a podcast on Nancy Musa. I think it was when I did the Arab slave trade somewhere there. And second of all, adding the Middle East to the history thing. Okay, I blame America for ISIS. Bye.